Welcome to the Well SGV podcast. We exist to multiply followers of Jesus rooted in the gospel who worship, walk, and witness to God's glory. Here's our message for the week. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to uh, the Well. Uh, so glad that you guys did brave the weather and uh, made it here. But you know, this isn't that bad, right? We're thinking, I was thinking like torrential, hurricane. It's like, oh, this is like, is this what they're talking about? <laughs> anyway, that's good. Um, yeah, it's great to just be here. And uh, you could pray for me. Actually, right after this service, I'm going to head straight out. So please uh, don't think, oh, man, that pastor is like so rude. He just leaves right after. Um, I, I have to catch a flight to Rwanda uh, this afternoon. My flight's at 1.50 p.m. at LEX. So would you pray that the Lord would just part the Red Seas, you know, and let me, like, get there? Uh, that would be great. I appreciate your prayers. I'll be there for about a week and a half, uh, just with my role with Reach Global, training some church planters and pastors out in that area. Uh, they've gone through a lot of devastation. As you know, uh, Rwanda was a site of uh, genocide in which um, uh, over half a million to about a million uh, Tutsis, uh, uh, ethnic group, had been killed, slaughtered and uh, at the hands of Hutu militias, and this was in the 90s, and so this country is really in a re- rebuilding process, but God is doing a beautiful work there, beautiful people, culture, so uh, just really, it's a privilege to be part of what God's doing out there with that. I won't be here next Sunday, obviously, but uh, Pastor Rick will be preaching, and so uh, looking forward to that. Uh, I'm going to just ask you to just join me in the word of prayer as we look into this passage, and uh, I'm going to pray for just a couple things as well. Uh, one of the things I do want to pray, sorry, before we go, is uh, those of you who are in education, I know that there's a handful of us who are teachers or staff at schools, and school just started. Uh, it's not an easy work, I know. It's very challenging, but we are uh, glad that God has called you into this place to be his ambassador for his kingdom, to be his truth, his wisdom, his light. And so we want to pray for all of you, as well as for our students as well. So um, please join me in the word of prayer. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, what a joy it is to come into your presence, uh, surely by your grace. Thank you, Lord, for saving us, redeeming us. Thank you for the finished work of Jesus. Lord, you have overcome Thank you for going to that cross and paying the debts of our sins, taking away our shame. You've brought us into your family. Lord, we have the hope of eternal life, Lord, and we are so thankful to you, Jesus. Lord, um, we praise you. We thank you for this church family. And here we are gathered as your people here at the well. What a joy to gather Uh, on this day, to say your name is great. Uh, Lord, we uh, just come also on behalf of our community. And Lord, we know, uh, I want to pray in particular for the teachers, the staff, those who serve our schools and our community, as well as for students, Lord. God, uh, these days that we live in, in this culture is not easy. Uh, There's so much that's going on in our schools. Uh, You know Uh, just the tremendous levels of hopelessness, uh, the insecurities, the anxieties, the worries. uh, There's just so many things right now that our schools are going through. We ask, Lord, that you would put your special empowerment upon those who serve our school communities. 
We ask, Lord, that you would be daily their wisdom, their strength. Let them daily go forth uh, just seeking to represent you with your power and encourage their hearts. Uh, there are days when it's very difficult, but on those days, encourage their hearts that you're the one who's with them and you've called them to this, Lord. Uh, be with the students and let our students learn your truth, your wisdom. Lord, uh, we pray that they would be salt and light in their schools as well. God, we continue to just really pray also for Maui. Um, Lord, uh, as we hear the news daily, it, the, the devastation, the death toll, the missing people, uh, it just seems to be worse and worse uh, daily as we hear the updates. Uh, Lord, you are not far. You are near. And Lord, you are the God who can bring restoration. You, this is what you do. Uh, Lord, we pray that you would restore lives, the community there in Maui. We ask, Lord, for families, homes, people, Lord, uh, may, they, may their lives be restored. But ultimately, we pray for the hope of Jesus to be upon this island Lord, we ask that out of the devastation and out of the ashes that you would bring the beauty of Jesus to, to bear forth in this situation. Lord, we know that you can do that. And so we pray for the people of Maui. Lord, would you open up our hearts now and let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing, acceptable in your sight. Uh, you are our Lord, our rock, and our redeemer. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Today, I want to talk about the compassion of Christ from this passage, Luke chapter 7. There are many ways to describe the truth, the goodness, and the beauty of Jesus. Um, Jesus is holy, he is pure, he's righteous, he's just, he's courageous, bold, wise, humble. There are many, many ways to describe the truth, the goodness, and the beauty of Jesus. But one of the attributes that most describes Jesus as you look at him in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and you examine and study his life, would be simply the word compassion. Compassion. B.B. Warfield, he's a professor at Princeton Seminary in the early 1900s, and a very renowned, respected scholar. And the way he describes it is this. He says... The emotion that we should naturally expect to find most frequently attributed to that Jesus whose life was a mission of mercy and whose ministry was so marked by deeds of beneficence that it was summed up in the memory of his followers as a going through the land, quote, doing good. That's Acts 10.38, by the way. <laughs> um, through the land doing good is no doubt the word Compassion. Compassion. I have a simple idea. I just want to convey to you, brothers and sisters, and that is that just as Christ was deeply marked by compassion, so we as Christ followers must be marked by compassion as well. This is what deeply characterized the beauty of Christ. And so our lives must also reflect his compassion. But what is compassion? What is it? There are many ideas of it. 
And sometimes in our culture, compassion can actually be weaponized um, in a way to put other groups down in the name of compassion. So we have to carefully examine what is actually compassion. How do we become people of compassion? And what will our lives look like when we are marked by the compassion of Jesus? So these are some of the questions. Well, what is compassion? Um, rather than maybe giving you a definition up front, the best way to describe compassion is simply to look at Jesus himself. Here is the person of compassion. So we land on this passage, Luke 7. Luke records for us, soon afterward, he went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a great crowd went with him. As he drew near to the gate of the town, behold, a man who had died was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow, and a considerable crowd from the town was with her. Now, picture the scene of what's happening here. Typically, in an American funeral, what's it like? You have maybe this somber, kind of quiet atmosphere. People are very ponderous and reflective of the deceased life. There may, may be some quiet crying in the background. You hear uh, the service, the memorial service may even be weeks after the deceased has passed away. Uh, everyone's wearing black clothing. Um, and this is what you see. And then you have, obviously, the casket in the front with the dead body in the casket. And then afterward, we go and, and we honor and we pay our respects to the deceased. But when you look at the Jewish funeral in the first century, in this scene, it's completely different. Jewish funerals, funeral rites, required that the dead body be buried within 24 hours. There is no delay. Now, like American funerals, the Jewish funerals move the body to the burial site in procession. Um, but the difference was that as they were marching, or as they were heading towards the burial site in procession, the funeral was extremely emotional and very loud. You would often just hear the whole procession, they would be full of loud wailing. In fact, uh, it was common, it was expected for the family to hire professional mourners to wail out loud, along with the other uh, women who would be mourning out loud. Um, this was oftentimes accompanied by flute players who are, um, who are going along. There were no flowers in the Jewish procession because flowers would be introduced later by Christians to symbolize the resurrection of Jesus and our body resurrection as well. Now, Luke records for us that the setting of this story is in this town called Nain. Um, if you just hear the word Nain, it sounds pleasant, and that's exactly what it was like. It was this very, very small, pleasant town that overlooked the hillside of the beautiful Jezreel Valley. Um, Jacob, in Genesis 49, noticed how pleasant this land was. Luke also records for us that there were crowds. So imagine throngs of people all around. Now, being a small town, Jewish town, Nain would have had a population roughly of about three to 500 people. And 
Anytime anyone passed away, the whole town would come out for the funeral service. So imagine this widow and her dead son. You have the flute players. You have the professional mourning women who are wailing. And then you have the town of three to 500 all accompanying her in this procession. And that's what's going on. But Luke also records for us that you have now Jesus. And Jesus is coming down, and it says, and his disciples, his 12, and then there was not just a considerable crowd with Jesus, there was a great crowd. What is great? Uh, it's the same word that's used to describe the feeding of the 5,000. A great crowd. So, Typically, some scholars guess maybe that the crowd that was accompanying Jesus was about one to 2,000 people. And he's coming down, kind of from the north, and they're about to intersect with this funeral procession, probably right around evening time, right around that time. Okay? Three to 500, one to 2,000 people, and they come together like that. Luke then says, when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said to her, do not weep. Do not weep. A few things I want you to see in this passage, just observe about the compassion of Jesus. First of all, Jesus sees this woman. He sees this woman. He notices her. Jesus, you can imagine, he's coming down. There's all these people, loud wailing. It's busy. It's a little bit chaotic, everything. But he is completely zeroed in on this woman. He sees her. He doesn't, he's not distracted by all the sounds, by all the movement, by all the scene, kind of just sort of taking it in. He just hones in on this woman. So he sees. And then it says, when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her. He had compassion and said to her, do not weep. Jesus not only sees this woman, but his heart is moved with compassion. His heart goes out to her. Now, it's interesting, Luke was not actually there. He's the author of this gospel. He's a medical doctor. He's a historian. He's a Gentile. He was not present when this was happening. So how would he know that Jesus had this compassion, um, that this heart that just went out? Well, he drew his account from several eyewitnesses and compiled this account. And there's no doubt the eyewitnesses who were there would have told Luke, this is what was going on, and this was the look on his face, and this is what he felt. See, the word compassion comes from this, work, or this word, uh, Greek, splunknos, but this idea of compassion is it's from the gut, from the gut. That's the word compassion. In fact, passion, the word passion, is the word suffering, 
in English, come together. So sometimes you can describe it as suffering together with, right, with someone. We talk about, oh, you know, this person really cares from their heart. I could feel their heart. I could sense their heart. And this is what would have been described of Jesus. When he had compassion on this woman, it came from, like, from deep within, from his heart, as we would, as we would say. Why? Why does Jesus have this deep compassion? Well, think about the woman, this widow. She's already lost a husband, and now she has lost a son. But not only a son, but the Bible tells us that she has lost her only son. In that day and age, no husband, you've lost your only son, what does that mean? You've basically lost your entire health insurance, your retirement plan, your savings, everything, and you have lost your, your reputation in your community as well. It's the stigma of shame, especially back then, that anyone who suffers this much, you know why you're suffering? It's because you must have done something wrong in your life. You must have some sin in your life that God is punishing you for. That's why you're going through such suffering. That was first century Jewish theology for you. This widow basically has lost all hope in her life. And she is what we, what we might describe as kind of in a state of living death. Okay? We kind of use more explicit terms like a living hell, right? But she would have been uh, described as really in the state of living death. And this is similar to the book of Naomi, or the book of Ruth in the Old Testament, what Naomi would have felt when she lost her two sons and her husband. She was in bitterness, she was in pain, she was in depression, but she was in a state of living death where you are physically alive, but everything within you is dead. Everything within you. You have lost your hope in life. And so Jesus sees this woman and his heart goes out to this widow and he says very, very gently, do not weep. Just like a mother comforting her little child after maybe the child fell. It's okay, don't cry. It'll be okay. And then finally, we see this. Jesus not only sees, not only feels, his heart goes out, but he does something to help her. He does something. So verse 14, Luke says, Then he came up and touched the bier, and the bear stood still, and he said, Young man, I say to you, arise. And the dead man sat up and began to speak, and Jesus gave him to his mother. It's so interesting that here, Jesus, he doesn't draw everyone's attention. Hey, look at, I'm about to do something miraculous, something powerful, something so amazing. No, he just simply comes up to this beer, this casket, and just simply touches, touches it touches the casket, and then raises her son back to life, and then hands the son back to the mother. Now, the crowds are focused on Jesus. 
right? The widow is focused on the grief and the loss of her son. But who is Jesus focused on this whole time? He's not noticing the crowds. He doesn't care for the crowds. You know what he's focused on is the woman. His heart, his, his eyes, his, um, his compassion, everything is focused on loving this woman well. This is Jesus. A lot of times you read a passage like this and you think, oh, wow, you know, I see the power, uh, the resurrection of Jesus' power, and those things are true. But what I want you to notice in this passage is his heart of compassion, his heart of compassion. Jesus, after raising this son, he doesn't make a big commotion out of it, right? Like, you know, if it were me or any of us, it's like, hey, I'm going to take a selfie. Look at this. Look at what I did. You know, hey, there's proof. You know, if you didn't take a photo, it didn't happen, right? Like, let me post it or whatever. Um, you know, I, it's, it's tempting, right, to make a big deal out of it. Look at this awesome thing. But this, is not, this isn't what Jesus does. He is completely focused on loving her well. And he's focused, honed in on the widow. And then look at what Luke says. A great prophet has risen among us. And God has visited his people. This is what the people, the crowds say in response. And this report about him spread through the whole of Judea and all the surrounding country. The whole of Judea and the surrounding country. Now, why would the people react this way? A great prophet has arisen among us. Why did they use the word prophet? Why didn't they say something like, wow, this is amazing. Jesus is full of power. He's full of glory. Or, um, why would they say a great prophet has arisen among us? Well, it's very simple. Name is located about three miles away from another prophet who came into that area 400 years earlier whose name was Elisha. And Elisha, at that time, had raised the, the only son of a couple in Shunem in 2 Kings chapter 4. The last time that God raised someone from the dead, it was an only son just a few miles from that spot. And so what are the people thinking Who've, who've raised generations and generations in that area, they're thinking of Elijah, the prophet, 400 years earlier, in a land where for 400 years there's been a drought of the word of God. There is no one who has spoken on behalf of God. And when Jesus comes on the scene, now they see he is the prophet of God. They knew right away God has now finally visited us. We see him. It's in Jesus. What is compassion? If I were to just sum up simply what compassion is, based on what you see here, and, and there are many, many acts of compassion of Jesus throughout the book of Acts, as well as the Gospels, like I said. Uh, you could, you know, we could go to the, the Good Samaritan. You could talk about the prodigal, par you know, par parable of the prodigal son. There are many, many instances. 
But very simply, I would say compassion is a Christ-like response to people in suffering and pain moved in heart and action towards them. It's a Christ-like response to people in suffering and pain moved in heart and action toward them. Now, we look at Jesus and we can say, that's great. That's Jesus. How do we become people of compassion? How do we, how does Jesus transform our hearts so that from our hearts, rather than being callous, indifference, self-absorbed, self-preoccupied with my needs, my life, that God would transform my heart so that I would be able to suffer together, grow my capacity to suffer together with other people, come out of my self-preoccupation, and to move in Christ-like compassion. Well, the greatest act of compassion that God has demonstrated was not the healing of a widow. This is a powerful miracle. It's a powerful demonstration. But the greatest act of compassion is simply found in the cross of Christ. It's found in the cross. Mark chapter 6, verse 34 says this. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, same word, it says, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. Now, I want you to notice something about this verse. A lot of times, when we think of compassion, we think about serving the poor. We think about those who are underprivileged and moving into their lives. And yes, those are demonstrations and those are marks of compassion. And this clearly what Jesus did as well. But when you look at Mark, it's very clear that what's going on here is not just physical demonstrations of compassion. He's talking about their spiritual condition. When Jesus sees people, he sees us as holistic people. He sees you as body, mind, psychological dimensions, all those things, but he sees your soul. That's what Jesus sees. And when Jesus looks on the crowds, in other words, all of humanity, all of us, what he sees is he sees spiritually lost condition, that we are separated from God, lost And God's compassionate heart is rooted in seeing people who are lost brought back to God and his kingdom to be reconciled to the Father. And what Jesus did was, in his great act of compassion, it says in Mark, is he began teaching them. Do we think of teaching as an act of compassion? Well, Jesus certainly did. Jesus saw that giving people the truth of the gospel the truth of God's word, was in fact the greatest act of compassion. Isaiah 53, 6, Isaiah says, We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. You see, the Bible says that we all are like this sheep that are without a shepherd. We're lost without God. 
we simply try to do life on our own. We try to figure things out, and we become our own Lord and our own saviors, trying to control our own lives. But we're disconnected from God. And Jesus wants to come in, and he wants to be the king of our lives. He wants to be the savior. And Jesus comes to lead us to himself so that he's restored his rightful place in our hearts, to take the throne of our hearts. And that now our lives all of a sudden have purpose and direction towards the things of God. We can treasure Jesus. We can live for his purpose. We can live for his glory. And this is the greatest act of compassion that God could give any of us. See, the Bible says that we were all spiritually destitute and empty. The widow's external poverty is simply a picture of our internal poverty. The widow's loss is a picture of our own destitute condition without hope under the dominion of Satan and this world under condemnation and debt that we've incurred because of our sin. And yet Jesus laid down his life for us through the cross in the greatest act of compassion in order to rescue us from our lost condition in order that we might be raised in newness of life. This is the greatest thing that he can offer. And not only that, when you come into God's kingdom, he gives you every single spiritual blessing. He adopts you as his children. You, are, you become sons and daughters of God. He gives you new life purely by his grace, his mercy. You are brought into his kingdom, his family, forever. These are the greatest benefits you could ever receive. And as we worship and treasure Jesus who gave himself for us, then we become the kind of people that he wants us to become. People of compassion, Christ-like compassion. But it means giving your life to Jesus, allowing him to be the king, the savior of your heart, taking yourself off the throne of your life, letting Jesus rule and reign, and trusting him by his grace that he has saved you purely by the mercy of um, what he's done for you and I. So what would that look like? Two things, really simply. I've got to watch the time. I've got to head out to the airport. <laughs> It's like you're thinking, this is good. I, I wish Pastor Dave would have a flight every Sunday so he could shorten his sermons. Well, all right. Um, all right so I'm watching my clock. Well, I, I do want to say, say a couple things, though. What will our lives look like? What will our lives look like? Our lives, um, following Jesus, marked by his compassion, means that the mark of God's compassion is that we learn to move with self-forgetful compassion and humility toward others. Okay, we learn to move with self-forgetful compassion. What does that mean? You see, just as Jesus came into this world self-forgetful, he left his glory behind, he left the comforts of heaven behind, and he entered into humanity, went to the cross. Um, so we are called to follow Jesus along this path. In Mere Christianity, C.S. Lewis says this. He describes humility. True humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's not like berating yourself. I'm such a horrible person, right? That's not what humility is. Christian humility, biblical humility, is that you just think of yourself less. You are not so preoccupied about this is my life, my needs, and you know, everything is always pointing back to you. Humility is pointing back to Jesus and pointing your life towards others. This is the mark of gospel humility. See, Christ turns 
Christ's compassion turns us outward to an other's orientation with our lives. We're no longer self-absorbed. When you move toward compassion, though, in people's lives, it will cost you dearly. You enter into people's lives, but when you do so, what happens is you, you, you don't just love them afar, right? You've got to enter in, but as you enter in, their joys become your joys, their sufferings become your sufferings, and you give yourself away. This is what Christ has called us to become, to do with our lives, to point it to the kingdom. This is the mark of gospel compassion. This has always been the mark. There's a bishop and historian of the early church. His name is Eusebius. And in the early church, when there were plagues and people were fleeing the cities because, again, self-preservation, I've got to protect myself, I've got to flee, I've got to run away from suffering pain, the one group of people who stayed were the Christians at great risk and cost to themselves. It was the Christians. And he notes, all day long, some of them, the Christians, tended to be dying, to the, tended to the dying and to their burial, countless numbers with no one to care for them. Others gathered together from all parts of the city, a multitude of those uh, withered from famine and, and distributed bread to them all. This has been always the mark of genuine Christ followers, as you have learned to suffer together with. Why? Because your hope is in eternity. Your perspective of this world is completely different now. The first public hospitals, orphanages, were started by Christians who moved toward the vulnerable in the weak with compassion. So, this is what God is transforming us to, uh, to become, self-forgetful, compassion and humility. And then secondly, our actions and words will ultimately point to Jesus, the real Savior. We begin to see people differently. Everyone has been created in the image of God. And all of humanity, every single person you come across has tremendous value and worth before God. And yet, you begin to see, like Jesus sees, a great crowd, but they are but lost, hopeless, in need of a Savior, fallen, broken, shame, guilt. And then you begin to see the real problems, the real issues underneath it all. That the real issue is the human condition, and there's only one Savior, and that is Jesus. The greatest act of compassion is to share your faith, to share the hope of Jesus. I heard this, and this is good. We don't love people in order to share our faith. That would be wrong. That's like a, an ulterior kind of motive, right? But we do share our faith with peop people because we love them. Because we love them. Right? We do have an ultimate not an ulterior motive, we have an ultimate motive to point them to Jesus. And by doing so, we give people the greatest, most compassionate thing we can give, and that is the gospel. Our hope in Jesus. This is the greatest thing, loving thing you could do. 
I pray that we, as a well, think about, as the Spirit has spoken to you, what does compassion now look like? How's, how does God, how is God moving you towards the Christ-like response and compassion, transformed by the power of his word and his spirit who lives in, inside of us to become the kind of people he wants us to become. This is what I pray would be the mark of our church, the well SGV, God's compassionate heart for the world, expressed in action, truth, and in word. Uh, let us become those people. I'm going to invite you to respond. And as we respond, uh, to pray, ask God, come to God. If you're sitting here and you don't know who Jesus is, we invite you to turn to Jesus, to say, Jesus, I see your heart. I see what you've done for me on the cross. I believe in you. I believe that you are risen from the dead. And I want to give my life to you, Jesus, as my Lord and Savior. We invite you to do this. Jesus is present. And for all of us, for us to respond to God, his compassionate heart, you can respond by prayer. We're going to worship. And you're welcome to come up here and to take of the elements of the bread and the cup as a reminder of what Jesus has done by his shed blood for us that we, we only have hope because of what he has done for us and his great love for us through his finished work on the cross. Come, we invite you. So uh, let's, let me just go ahead and pray. Father, we thank you for, Lord, uh, having mercy upon each one of us. We thank you, Lord, for your great compassion. Jesus, you are... Uh, so kind, so compassionate. Lord, how we thank you that even though we were like sheep that have gone astray, that, Lord, we were trying to run our lives our own way with our own agenda, uh, trying to control our own lives, Lord, that you showed yourself to us, that you, Lord, you died on the cross to redeem us from, from all of that. And Lord, we worship you now. Jesus, shape us into the kind of people that you intend for us to become. Uh, we ask this for your glory. Amen. Thanks for listening to our podcast. We would love to hear from you and help you take one step closer to Jesus. To contact us or for more information, please go to www.thewellsgv.org.